This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Getting, Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports Station. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's the, the Puff Dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Plenty of fire for you today. Brock and Salt Seattle Sports here on 710SeattleSports.com and the Seattle Sports app as well. Good morning to you, Brock. Good morning, Michael. You like the Seahawks redraft yesterday, huh? Ooh. Ooh. ESPN went through this and determined that if the Seahawks, if they were to redraft, not just Seahawks, but if the whole league were to redraft knowing what they know now, the biggest mover would be Tariq Woolen, who goes from the fifth round to the third overall pick. Seahawks never would have had a shot at him. You know, 153 to three. That's pretty good. It's pretty that's, good. It's pretty good jump. A, that's a pretty good stock improvement right there. Pretty that's, good value. Yeah, that that's <laughs> that's fairly unprecedented. I, I think Richard Sherman, I think if we were to go back a decade ago or so and, and look at some of those, I think Richard, you know, flew up. I think KJ flew up. But I don't think any of them flew up from one fifty-three to three. I mean, that is just and and that's was you know Sauce Gardner territory, and and that's obviously ahead of Stingley, the kid out of LSU that went to Houston that had a year that looked and felt and and seemed nothing like Tariq Woolen. So, yeah, it was validation. We all knew how terrific that class was. We know the role that it plays when your own young people, Mike, are the difference. And when your young core for the Mariners and your young core for the Kraken and your young core for the Seahawks, uh, when they when it's built that way, it's just it's just different. And and yeah, I did enjoy that because it wasn't just Tariq, right? It was Boye Mafe mm-hmm. actually taking a couple spots ahead and a reminder that oh yeah, he did have a good year. It was Charles Cross taking it again right there in the top ten, right where the Seahawks took him. Ken Walker taken right at number forty. I mean, it just is validation that. Yeah, what you did a year ago, um, you know, from a national perspective, was incredibly real. Yeah, and that doesn't even include, you know, Abe Lucas or Kobe Bryant, who probably don't make it into the first two rounds. But I don't think anybody looks at them and thinks that they were bad value where they were picked. If you were to keep going into the third round, my guess is you would find both of those guys there, don't you think? I would think so. Yeah, I, th- I, I thought both think played so. at least like third round picks this year for yep. fourth and fifth rounder. So yeah, I mean, it, we knew it was a great draft, but when you see those, you know, when you see that sort of, um, when when you see that, it's not an honor, but when you see that sort of put on paper like that, I, I think it really does sort of emphasize so just how good it was. Why? Why would? Why? why? Why this year? Right? I mean, that that's the. Do, do you know I do that a fair amount? By the way, ask why. I told you this. Yeah. Have I told you the story about Benetti impersonating me, which really bothers me <laughs> because I don't, in, in, in my years of this, I've never had anybody do that. And Benetti is so good. In fact, if we want to talk to Sean McDonough next segment, we could call him <laughs> and there is no way you would know the difference. Right. I remember he did some of that for us. It was, Oh, he did a little good. bit of it, but you could, you could do an entire hour, you wow. could do an entire show with Sean McDonough <laughs> and Benetti could pull it off. And so, yeah, he's made me a little self-conscious. Because he'll say that during broadcast, I'll just go, why? Why? How? <laughs> you know, I'll just kind of throw those words out. I didn't even know I did that. <laughs> but but ultimately, I think that's a the pertinent question here is why? Because if you can answer that, then in two months, as we go through all these mocks and we prepare ourselves and we get to know these prospects, well, if you figured out why you did it last year, go do it again. Do you have any? Can, can you start to land on a few reasons as to why this crew was 
that good, why they created that much value, and really exceeded so many of the drafts since that 2012 crew. Why? If you had that, Brock, you'd have the secret to unlocking it every year. I mean, I don't, I, you know, some of it is luck, unfortunately, right? I mean, some of it is unanswerable. That yep. That's just the hard reality of this is that some of it is unanswerable. You just don't know why it worked out. Um, some of it maybe what? were some changes to their process, right? Did they did they make some changes to, to the style, to personnel? I don't know. Maybe they changed some scouting. I don't know what they did behind the scenes. If there was some some difference that was uh, undertaken that that ended up helping them, but however you however it worked, you need to do it mm-hmm. again. That's for sure, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. Yes, uh, completely. Uh, you know, when Pete said over the years there have been some concessions, I think there have been at times in the drafting into, okay, how how are these guys going to fit in here? We know for a fact that there were some misses because, you know, they they thought they were so loaded in so many spots with Richard and Cam and the, the whole crew that they had to be really kind of guarded and mm-hmm. on who they brought in and they had to be a, a fit and it would able to, and then, you know, there were a bunch of guys came in and it was like, Whoa, this is not going to work because they are kowtowing to the talent. So rather you think than some of the David and Goliath thing, right? Like, because, you know, in that, in that case, some of the great advantages you have on your team put you at a bit of a disadvantage in the draft. Uh, I think so. I think they took some extraordinary risk at time uh, with, with just pure traits like, Oh, yep. You know, we, we're pretty solid. There's not really a spot on this roster. So let's go boomer bust. Let's go find the guy that's got the weird release but can throw it 102. And we don't know where it's going, but we're going to develop him and rather have that than a consistent, stable, you know, um, low floor guy because we need we need to go for the ceiling, right? We need to go for – we need to go big. Um, so I, I think they fell a little bit into that. And then, frankly, there were just massive opportunities, this year, I mean, there was massive opportunities with this roster for these guys to come in and and hit the ground running. Tariq Woolen and Ken Walker and Abe Lucas and Charles Cross. Guess what? You're going to be right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Charles Cross was your left tackle from day one. Abe Lucas rotated a little bit through OTAs, a little bit in training camp with with some others, and ultimately took hold of it and and never looked back. But yeah, I think there was massive opportunity. I, I, you know, if you were to put me in the corner and say, and I've gone back and looked at all their drafts, and it felt to me, it felt like these guys were the most productive in college that they've ever collectively drafted. It was all American. It was all American, right? It wasn't honorable mention all conference. It was all conference three times for Abe Lucas, right? I mean, it was Ken Walker, Doak Walker winner, uh, Kobe Bryant, Jim Thorpe award winner. I mean, there was a tremendous amount of production. They've had that in past drafts, right? They have. I went back, so it's not as if all of a sudden this year they finally went production. They've had a lot of All-Americans and a lot of individual award winners. But collectively, this was the, this was the most productive crew. And, well, and and let's also be clear, this crew got a lot more opportunity than other crews did, right? I mean, you know, Pete massive. always says this is a teaching program, right? They they continue to develop guys once they get to the to the pros. Well, yep. they had a lot more opportunity to do that, right? I mean, all those guys could walk right into the starting lineup this year and have success immediately because there was room for them because the team had a lot of holes. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, I, I do think and you know what else a, they, yep, you know what else they were too? I mean, they caught your eye. When you're out of training camp, you're like, whoa. Right. 
Uh, Abe Lucas? Whoa, that's a large human. Right, you, you sounded a little bit like Lewis Riddick earlier this week talking about some of those guys at the Senior Bowl. Like, oh, whoo, that guy blocks you know out the sun and Tariq Woolen. Like, whoa, that is just whew, he is six four and just twitch can walk. Whoa, that dude is explosive. Like they had a bunch of those whoa dudes, and that's going to have to be a part of it once again. Coming, well, up they, they've April. got an even better situation heading into this year, right? They have more draft picks in higher spots and everything else. There's no reason why they can't repeat what they did last year, other than that. It's very hard to repeat that, but mm-hmm. if they keep some of the same strategy, if they keep some of the same tactics, if they go in the same direction and try to, to, to repeat what they did, man, that, that would really be how you build something that could be sustainable here for not just the immediate future. All right, coming up next, we'll give you everything you need to know, including uh, obviously the most important and biggest thing everybody saw last night. It's next, Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, how real was that Seahawks season last year? Obviously, they accomplished quite a bit, and we saw it with our own eyes, 9-8 and eight record, playoffs, etc., And it happened for a few reasons, but mostly because they exceeded all expectations. Started with the draft. They obviously scored ESPN, did a little redraft in the first two rounds. And the Seahawks did really, really well. Tariq Woolen at third overall. Cross stayed at nine. Mafe moved up a spot. Walker moved up a spot. So, yeah, that's before you even add in Abe Lucas and Kobe Bryant. So they did an incredible job with this year's draft. Secondly, Geno was great. How great? Well, according to an NFL analytics expert, Cynthia Freeland at NFL.com, their passing offense was the single most outperforming unit of anyone in, in the NFL. Mm. She noted that Geno Smith's deep passing, especially early on in the year, drove a lot of that final ranking. You said it's luck. I'm talking about the draft being a crapshoot. And I would tend to agree with a fair amount of that. The numbers just tell you that. Some of it's luck. And the lack of repeatability year after year after year, even for the best organizations, speak to some of that. But what is luck? Luck is the crossroads of? Preparation and opportunity. There you go. And as you said, there was massive amount of opportunity, just like there was in 11 and 12 and even in the 13 with with this Seahawks team back then that, that needed young stars. To, to not just fill in the jerseys, but fill in significant roles and be difference makers. That's what the first time around, when they built all the way to the mountaintop, that's what they were. When you, when you watch Super Bowl this upcoming weekend, watch these teams and realize how many of them. Yeah, Mahomes is a star. Kelsey's a star. Homegrown. Homegrown. Jalen Hurts, he's a star. Homegrown. Offensive line, homegrown. I mean, that it makes an enormous difference. And, yeah, when you have an opportunity and you can capture it like these guys do, you turn that luck into production. Here's the second thing you need to know. It really was not a good night for the Kraken. After no, it was long, not. long, long layoff, they get blown out in New York. The Islanders just taking advantage of what seemed to be every mistake, and there were plenty of mistakes to take advantage of. Uh, afterwards, Jaden Schwartz says, well, I'll let you hear for yourself. A little bit off today, a little bit tired. and um, You know, like I said, log. Long travel back to Seattle and long travel here. So, um, you know, we don't want to use it too much of an excuse, but we know we got a lot better than that. And we'll get our energy tomorrow and look at a few things and regroup. Yeah, I don't like that. I mean, tired. Yeah, I don't know, tired. <laughs> I don't like, 
is the first game you've been off for 10 days. I could see Rusty. Rusty? Rusty, yes. Not Tired. Sharp. I don't know about tired, but Getting anyway. hockey legs back. Yeah. Well, and I could see they needed to get some of their legs back. And I do think they'll come out with more energy tonight. But I don't know whether tired is the word I'm going to use. Also, Andre Burkowski left the game early. A lower body injury did not return. So that's uh, not exactly you a get any sign. feel for Matty Beneers? Yeah, I thought he looked fine. I mean, yeah. he, he looked like himself. I mean, the whole team had kind of a lousy night, so it's hard to judge him, but I, I didn't think he looked off in any way. Uh, Jacob Megna made his debut. He looked a little slow on mm-hmm. the back pairing. They gave up mm-hmm. a couple of goals, him and Carson Soucy. So, I don't know. I, I'm going to yeah. reserve some judgment and let, him, let it play out a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't get any, any easier, though. Now, now you go to see the Devils in their place, and I think you've beaten them in your place yep. a few times. So, I'm going to guess that they're going to uh, their skate's going to be nice and sharp. They're going to be ready to go. Uh, and this is going to be a this going to be a good little tester of a, of a five-game road trip with a mostly eastern swing here coming out of the All-Star break. Here's the third thing you need to know. LeBron James has shot in history. LeBron stands alone. The NBA's all-time scoring record now belongs to LeBron James. Yeah, congratulations to King James. He passes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar last night as the NBA's all-time leading scorer. Did it in 151 fewer games than Kareem did. The whole thing was uh, pretty magical. A few thoughts on this. One, did you want to see him do a skyhook or something to break the record? Or to... mm. I kind of would have liked to have seen the homage to Kareem. Even if yeah. it had come later in the game or yeah. something. Yeah, that had been pretty cool. Kareem was there. Yeah, and people said that Kareem looked unhappy throughout the whole thing. I don't think he was unhappy about LeBron breaking the record. I think he was unhappy somebody made him sit inside an NBA arena. <laughs> like, oh, I have to watch this? I don't want to watch. It's so loud. I mean, think about how old Kareem is. There's no way he was enjoying that. <laughs> That's kind of the look that Kareem, as I remember back in the day, that he always had on right, his he's face. Not the, he's not exactly Mr. No, Sunshine. No, there was not a lot of joy. I'll tell you what was remarkable about this is when you put it in context with those around him, right? I mean, that's where this is just silly. It's not like some of the passing yards today where you see so many of the guys accumulate all these yards and touchdowns, right? And every year you're like, wow, look at this 4,000 yards, this 4,000 yards. And then you compare it to guys of 10, 20, 30 years ago in a totally different era. I mean, look at his peers right now. There's nobody within 10,000 points. Wow. I mean, Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony's like the next. They're not even ten, within 10,000 points. Nor was Kobe and Jordan. They're 10,000 points behind. And LeBron's not slowing down. I mean, like, he doesn't seem like this is going to be it for no, him. No, he's going to get to 40,000. That's pretty remarkable. I think he's going to put a mark up there, kind of like Brady did. But I don't think anybody's <laughs> going to ever touch. All right, that is everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour here in the new Brock and Salk show. I, I was asking earlier, one of the, the great things about LeBron is how he not only met but exceeded the unbelievably high expectations mm-hmm. set for him. And I was asking who else you know, you would put in that category post LeBron because you got bird and magic. I mean, I think those guys did that in, in their era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a lot of the responses were people almost at the exact same time as LeBron tiger woods was maybe a couple of years before Sidney Crosby was the next year. Maybe you want to throw the Williams sisters in there. There was a lot of expectation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Th- that group for sure. Yeah. Since then, I don't know that, it, first of all, there haven't been as many people hyped as much as LeBron was. I mean, people were throwing out, you know, Justin Moore and I kind of went through this and, and there were some, you know, car racers and there were some, 
you know, uh, swimmers. And I think I'm not I'm not diminishing those sports at all. There's a lot of value and there's certainly a lot of pressure individually. Yeah. But not compared to the hype of LeBron James coming out of high school. No. Right. I mean, he, he was viewed as the second coming in one of the biggest sports in the country. You certainly almost can rattle off those that have fallen off. Right, those that you, you, they kind of tried to build up the Kerry Woods and the Mark Priors of baseball, right? They were just so uniquely different, but mm-hmm. they just couldn't sustain. Andrew Luck would be the one I would point to most in the NFL, who had a very good career, mm-hmm. but certainly nowhere near what LeBron James mm-hmm. has done. Nope, couldn't just could not sustain. I mean, his sustainability is just. I mean, when you know Lewis Riddick said to us on Monday when you asked him like who 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 were the guys over the years, right? Because he was just rattling off about Cedar Bowl and right. the extraordinary traits of these guys and the superhuman qualities, almost cartoon esque. And he said, "Yeah, you know, I mean, LeBron. Like when you see LeBron, like he's he's got shoulders like Abe Lucas, right? I mean, he is six foot eight and he's got just." You know, just Goliath shoulders, mm-hmm. but then he's got a, an explosive. He's got legs like Jordan, and then to do it, Mike, for twenty years and not have a, a an injury, really, right, and and not have you know, all this load management that all the others are, and not looking for a way out, but to be there, just season in, season out, year in, year out. It is, it is a testament to his unbelievable work and athleticism. I, I got to ask you later. We, we don't, we're running out of time now, but but I want to come back to this with you because of. Some of the expectation that was put on you when you were in high school, you win the Gatorade player of the year. You are the best high school football player in America. That's not LeBron level hype, but it's obviously a lot of of pressure and expectation that comes with it. And I'm curious to know how that felt and what it was like trying to live up to that. We'll come back and I'll ask you about that. And we're going around the station a little bit as well. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. This hour of the Brock and Salk Show is powered by Star Rentals, preferred supplier to the West's best contractors. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports Station. Get around the station here in a minute or two. I got some Super Bowl sound. I got some Mariners conversation. Got a whole bunch of different things. But I, I wanted to finish where we were a moment ago, Brock, because we're talking through LeBron living up to his hype, exceeding his hype. Like Tiger Woods, uh, Moore brought up Sidney Crosby. I totally agree on that one. Uh, that era with uh, throw the Williams sisters in there certainly seemed to produce a grouping of players in various sports that all exceeded very high, uh, unusually high expectations. I don't think we've seen as much of it since then. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you, because you are in a unique position to talk through this. No, you were not the next LeBron James of the NFL. But coming out of high school, you're the Gatorade National Player of the Year. You're the single best high school football player in America in 1994. Viking Power will survive through the class of 95. Viking Power will survive through the class of 95. Were you 95 or 94? 95. Okay, you're a year before me. Sorry, I thought you were two years ahead of me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're the class of 95. They, They bestow upon you this incredible award. You are the Gatorade National High School Player of the Year. How How does it, how do you live up to that? How much pressure do you feel? What does it do to you as you kind of move forward after that? Nothing like today. How I how I would have navigated that today, I don't know. It would have been absolutely brutal. What was it like then? Uh, it, it was it was a it was a celebration then. It truly, and I'm not like minimizing it, but remember, this is like before computers, right? This is before email. This is before any phones, right. any social media, any of this stuff. I mean, the big deal was like the news stations coming out. The big deal was the newspaper. 
doggone you, Luke Kit Wong, taking the ugliest picture <laughs> that you have ever taken in your life of me, and that's what's on the News Tribune the next morning I wake up, and my mom has to walk in the room in darkness and say, son, it's going to be okay. Son, it will be okay. What? What? What's, what's, what? What happened? It'll be all right, okay? Opa already called the newspaper. You know, <laughs> let him have it because I look, yeah, I, I mean, my face Not is all contorted. It is the worst picture no, ever, and terrible. that's what's plastered. Anywho. Those were the, that was the outlet. And then it was like, okay, came and went, right? I mean, it just didn't necessarily endure or last. Or if I had to carry that, what these kids, and you know what? I was just looking at the list, Salk, and looking back kind of in the 90s where there's Peyton Manning and there's Joe Maurer and there's Tim Couch. And there's a lot of guys that went on to be the number one picks and mm -hmm. play a long time. And then over the last few years, you don't see the same level of success and pop. Is it because they're guessing poorly? They don't have as much information? Seems like is the it because the be burden of responsibility and the weight of expectation is so much heavier mm -hmm. for these today and what they have to navigate versus me last century? Uh, you know, I told you, like, we got to go to the lobster shop on Reston Way. Wow. Are you kidding me? Big day. I, I get to take who? You get to take 20, 25 people. Are you serious to the lobster shop? Like it was the, I get lot. I never had lobster in my life, right? Don't, don't, don't kid yourself. I didn't come from any privilege. I came from massive opportunity because my dad was a coach. We had keys to the gym and the weight room and the field. And my 10,000 hour rule was real. Like that, that was, I was, we got to go to the pool on the weekends because <laughs> we had the key to the gym. I mean, that's where I was spoiled, but I did not come from any privilege the, the lobster shop was an enormous deal for Aunt Bonnie. Are you kidding me? And Opa and, and Hoppy. Like, we get to have lobster. And then I get to go watch a Sonics game. Are you serious? We get to go watch Minute Bowl and the Spud Webb and the, and the, and the then Bullets play the Sonics? Like, that was on. And, and I'm not, honestly, I'm not using hyperbole here. Those were big. And I get a watch. I got a Gatorade watch. <laughs> I think I still so, have it. So after all of that, you didn't feel any pressure no, to live up to that? Not really. No, not really. Amazing. I mean, no, when I go into college, then, you know, I get the, the freshman treatment. Like, who are you? Know, you're a little punk. You're Damon's little brother. Like, shut up. You know, like, Laura Malloy was there. And they're like, no. Then you got to go earn it right away. So I honestly, and, and I'm, I hadn't thought about this. I don't think we've ever talked about this. But I did not feel this. Oh. Now, once I started playing at Washington, Sure. Then I'm in the fishbowl, right? Then I'm following Billy Joe, and I'm following Damon. You have a responsibility to live up to that? Yeah. Then they started to feel some of the weight. And then, you know, you get drafted by the hometown team. And at times, then it really started because then, well, radio and sports radio and all these outlets, it started to build and build and build. But, man, fast forward, Salk, in, in some of my insecurity and thin skinness and just the way my wiring was as a high schooler, if I had to to walk what these guys walk today and gals walk today, uh-uh. It had been so, so much more difficult mm. than it was back then. Well, and maybe that's why that, that grouping, I mean, you're sort of right in that same era with LeBron James and with Sidney Crosby and with the, you know, Tiger Woods and Venus Williams, Serena mm -hmm. Williams, et cetera. Maybe that was just sort of a sweet spot. And, and since then, it's been more challenging. And there have been some. I'm not trying to say nobody has lived up to their hype since, but that kind of hype? Pretty rare. We haven't seen a whole lot of it. All right. Let's go around the station. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, salesports.com. Uh, this was yesterday with Wyman and Bob Mark Schlereth making his daily or weekly, rather, appearance. And uh, Brock, I think he's with you. 
other than that, I would say that the Eagles are a better football team in pretty much every other position across the board. And I think they've got one of the most dominant groups up front in the National Football League. They are, I mean, they are physically gifted. They're physical. They can run downhill. They can play that game. They can pin and pull and capture the perimeter of your of your defense. They're outstanding. They're a lot of fun to watch. So I think their run game with the quarterback run and everything else, I'll give the uh, advantage to Philadelphia. Uh, you also picked the Eagles, and probably not a surprise that the old offensive lineman says mm-hmm. offensive line is going to rule this game. But is it that simple? Well, I think health, number one. All right, so my I think my first little category that is I look at these matchups and the Super Bowls over the last 10 years and point to the Seahawks in particular in 2013, healthy, happy, flying, believing. And then he had a Bronco team that was pretty decimated with some injuries, and it was a no contest. The following year, Seahawks, healthy, and then you lose. Uh-oh, uh-oh, now we lose a corner. Uh-oh, now Cliff Averill's out. Uh-oh, and it became uh-oh time. Uh, Kansas City, did you see what they were left with at the end of that AFC Championship rough. game? <laughs> right? I mean, they were down to the nitty-gritty at receiver. I, I think they were, they were ready to pull practice squad guys off. Now, they've had two weeks. They're, they're, I think some of them are going to be back, but they're working back to health. Mahomes is working back to health. The Eagles are flying, and they are fully loaded. And, yes, give me the more physical team that can run it. And as I said, when the Chiefs could not run the ball at all, Against the Bengals, that portends bad things for Super Bowl Sunday if you're a Chiefs fan. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I probably favor the Eagles as well, but I feel like it's going to be a very close game. Like, I, I could go back and forth, and, and at the end of the day, I think leading up to that Schlereth cut, he also said Patrick Mahomes still the best player on the field. And I, I don't want to sleep on that, and, and I've got to imagine that Andy Reid and the rest of that crew learned a little something from what happened in the last time they were in this game, right, and got their butts kicked by Tampa Bay, who just got after the quarterback constantly throughout that game. They must have learned something from that, hey, right? Uh, hey, Mora. Mora, are you there? Mora? Yes, I'm here. How many sacks did the Eagles have as a team collectively? 70. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, go back and look at that Buccaneers crew. That was amazing, but they didn't they didn't have this kind of depth, <laughs> this kind of production. I know. Go back and look at that Giants team that beat the undefeated Patriots on this stage. They didn't have this kind of depth. Go look at that Seahawks team that beat the greatest offense that was rolling and all that Peyton was doing that year. Go look at what – I mean, you could try to say you learn from it, but if you don't have the horses and they've got that kind of – Oh, what do you call it? Dry powder coming at you again and again and again and again. I would say that's again. just powder at that point. Yeah. It's dry powder is something that you have that you can still use. That, how this about is they, just the regular how, powder? How about the dry powder that's waiting on the sidelines and then they light that stuff up and I it know. comes in and blows them up and it's blows them up impressive. and blows them up. So, yeah, I don't. I just don't think they. They can. I don't think they can block them. So amazing, considering all of the props that the AFC got throughout the year of like this is the real conference. The NFC didn't really have any quarterback. This, that, and the mm-hmm. other. And uh, now we head into the Super Bowl, and things look very different. Mike Petrillo uh, does uh, stuff for ESPN, talking baseball, and he was on with I think it was Bumpin' Stacy earlier this week. Uh, I wanted to play you a couple things. This one was a little critical of what the Mariners uh, did this offseason and where they're at. I was surprised when I think before any of those shortstops even signed when they came out and said, no, J.P. Crawford's our shortstop. And I don't mean to speak ill of him. He's been a solid player, but he is not the kind of guy I think that should stand in front of adding Trey Turner or, you know, Carlos Gray or any of these other guys. And they didn't. And the, the issue I think I have here is if you look at the lineup right now, even if 
as you said, big ifs. If Colton Wong can still hit like he did last year, if Suarez's rebound was for real, you still have the bottom third of that lineup, which is something along the lines of Crawford, Pollock, and Kalinick. And that's a weaker bottom third than I think a contending team really should have. Like, I like they got Teoscar Hernandez. It's great. But I, I think they missed an opportunity to get that big superstar bat. Do you think JP's previous contract precluded them from entertaining these offers? Or Jerry did all of their homework and they knew exactly how wonky and wacky and enormous this market for shortstops was going to be and they were out? Uh, Which one played a bigger... Had, had JP Crawford not had, and they had not signed him, extended him the previous, what, two two years before? Right. After the 2020 season? Would they have gone after one of these dudes? Um, I don't. Th- I don't think necessarily either of those things are true. I, I, I think that they needed. They, they, the JP did not necessarily affect them. If they had truly wanted somebody, they could have gotten it done. Okay. I also think that they did not realize that anybody was going to be spending, you know, 10, 11 years bidding these guys up into their 40s. The way I think that surprised the Mariners and and a lot of other people around baseball as well. So I don't know. I'm not really sure how to answer that. I don't know whether okay. J.P. Crawford himself is the is the barrier, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think that's the crux of your your question. Yeah, and I would say no. They like J.P. They're comfortable with him. They like him more than other people like him. They like some of the other skills he brings to the table, the leadership, and I think they still believe that there is another another level to his bat that we haven't seen yet. But I'd say if we don't see it this year, we're not going to see it. Correct. I would like to. Here's what I would like to see from JP. I just don't know if it's possible at this stage of his career, at this stage of the game, because it's obvious. You know, it, when you go look at just the exit velo, just a hard hit rate, man, you got to hit that ball hard. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in this environment and in the milk bowl that is uh, that building many, many months in April and May and the marine layer and everything else, like yep. you've you got to be able to hit the ball hard. And Frazier couldn't, and Winker couldn't, and they're no longer here. Uh, JP's numbers are right there when it comes to hard hit rate and exit velo, and he just doesn't hit it hard. So, so the can question you, is, can, can you grow that? Well, can yeah. That, I mean, that, I think what you can see is that at the beginning of the year, I mean, they go into some of this stuff, right? And JP at the beginning of the year had a different launch angle than he did later in the year. And, and if you can get someone to understand that, we've seen that in the modern game of baseball, swing changes can make an enormous difference. Look at Chris Taylor. He's probably the, the ultimate example of it, but there's others, J.D. Martinez mm-hmm. and a few others who have made significant changes to their approach and it has drastically changed their careers. I'm not telling you J.P. Crawford's going to turn into either of those two guys, but certainly he's just as strong as Chris Taylor is. Well, I would like to see when we lay our eyes on him uh, in a couple weeks in the pitchers and catchers report, by the way, a week from tomorrow, right. holy smokes, uh, we'll be down there in like three weeks ourselves. Here's what I would like to see. I'd like him to be, well, not necessarily the Goody. Remember when Goody put on all that muscle and then yep. sure enough, like shoulder uh, a month and a half later. Right. I'm not. I'm not looking for that kind of transformation. But I do want, you know, when he walks out of the clubhouse to go, oh, okay. Yeah, that guy committed to three months of work. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that guy by committed. By all accounts, that's what we're going to see. And okay. that it wasn't just what he did with his body. Because he's it's in the prime. He's done with his swing. He's in the prime yep. of his career physically. Absolutely. Like, yep. he is in the prime. I know that he takes great pride in trying to play every day and everything else. Uh, and they're going to take he's not the bat. play every day. No, right? he's I mean, not. they're going to take that out of his hands, and that should help him as well because he's never going to be a huge guy. I mean, that's not going to even if he works out, you know, until mm-hmm. forever. So I don't. I I think that you have to believe in some of that pro- process. That's not always. It's not always doesn't always work that way. But they believe in JP. 
whether that was the right decision or not, I mean, I think we'll learn over the next year or so, and, and mm-hmm. Jerry will answer for it one way or another. But they've bet on him. They, they bet on the guy that they like, and they like the value that they get at that position, which is fine. Eventually, you're still going to need somebody to kind of pair with Julio Rodriguez and be a one-two punch. I don't know whether you've got that on your lineup right now. I don't know whether Suarez can continue it. I don't know whether Ty France is that guy. Maybe Kelnick you know, grows into it. Who the heck knows? Mm-hmm. But no, I agree. I think at this point, you still probably need that one-two punch with Julio near the top of the lineup. Still a blue 88. This is Brock and Salk's Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Well, we saw Brock in the redraft of the first two rounds of uh, last year's draft by ESPN. They put Tariq Woolen number three. How did he move up 150 spots? The number one reason why, I think the number one from a pure football perspective, is that crazy track speed? That combine, what was it? Four three one, four two nine. Like just that ridiculousness, actually translated to the game field, and it did not at UTSA. Even though they were the roadrunners, and you would have think that, you know, just based on mascot alone, right? Beep beep. Like you would thought for sure that that would have shown up, and had it on the playing field in any way consistently, he would not have been the hundred and fifty third pick. He would have been the thirty third pick. Right? He would have been the 43rd pick. He'd have been the 23rd pick because you're just not supposed to be 6'4", long arms, that long levered and that twitchy. But it didn't show up collegiately, as Pete said to us. <laughs> Both the decision-making, the playmaking, none of it showed up, and it's why he was still there at 153. But how, Mike, they did that week in and week out, and you could feel his speed. And it was real. Closing speed. I mean, it was, there it is. There, There's 4-3. There it is. Every single week we would see a play or two where you're like, yep, there it is. And, and he's translating that. That is preparation. That is coaching, right? That's Pete Carroll, that the former DB that loves coaching that room more than, as much as he's enamored with running backs, he loves coaching and developing DBs. Don't kid yourself. And so taking all that teaching and then translating it and translating that speed onto the field, that's how he went from 153 to three in the redraft. All right, question number two. So uh, we got the information yesterday that uh, the fifth-year options for rookie class first-round picks uh, are going to be $12 million, and that is uh, what they have with Jordan Brooks. So if they want Jordan Brooks for fifth year, uh, it's a $12 million option, and they have to pick that up by May. Are they going to do it? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to do that. If that number was $18 million, $20 million, you know, if it, if you played a different position, maybe it's a different conversation. But no, you're, you're going you're gonna to pick that up. Uh, he's going to be working through his, his ACL at that time. Obviously, that's a week after the draft, even if, and they should, take a linebacker in the first two rounds, a difference-making thumper that can run and hit and is unique. And, and I, I sure hope that there's someone available in the first two rounds that, that checks that box. And even if they do sign Levante David or one of these Jermaine Pratt, any of these other, you know, there's a number of veteran linebackers on the market. No, you're still, to me, picking up that option he's gonna have to work through the whole rehab 
I'm not counting on him in any way in September, maybe not even October. But if he can find himself and find his legs a year later in November or December of next year, and this is about him and just his hunger to be great. Uh, this is Pete talking about. He's he's front of the room now. This is K.J. Wright saying, uh, yeah, I give my stamp on this guy because he had to do it through absolute chaos in about the worst-case scenario this year with a D-line that couldn't protect him and couldn't cover him, and, and the wash is constantly in his face. So, no, I'm picking that Jordan yep. Brooks op- option up, and at $12 million with the cap growing, that's a palatable I number. Would, uh, I would tend to agree with that. Question number three. We've talked about this in a while, but as we start uh, thinking about heading down to spring training, and I think about us doing the show down there, I can't help but think about when we were down there, and we ended up talking to our guy Larry Scott, and I got so frustrated afterwards. <laughs> the Korean broadcasters who were there were like, what is going on with that guy? Um, well, what's going on right now with the Pac-12? It's no longer Larry Scott. It's George Klevikov. What's going on with their media rights deal? Have they figured out what this conference is even going to look like? Nope. Ugh. Nope. And we're starting now. The calendar turned to February. And it's like, okay, come on, Georgie. Come on now. Let's go. Let's get this deal done. You have presented in a very positive way to the alumni board and kind of council that I sit on even. Like, that. nope, you guys are going to you're going to like this. That there's competition that some of the streaming, you know, the, the in those platforms are incredibly engaged. And this may be a little bit outside the box, but we're going to get near or we're going to surpass the Big 12 numbers. Right. So remember kind of the pecking order here and, and how it works. The Big Ten got their deal done and it was top of the market. Right. Just big time. Their rights deals came up. And, uh, you know, the SEC is one thing. They're locked in over the long term. But Big Ten comes up and now Big 12 kind of leapfrogged and jumped in. New commissioner and said, OK, yeah, we're not going to go after Big Ten money, but we're not going to be on the floor. And you know what? If you, if you just give us this for stability, we'll take it. And they took it. And so the numbers are there. And the Pac-12 thinks that they're going to surpass Big 12 numbers. We'll see. Mm. And well, today, be- today George is in Dallas, and he's visiting SMU. Oof. And the conversation is SMU-SDSU. <sighs> Do you bring in SMU and San Diego State to replace uh-huh. USC and UCLA? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really know what but that is. That's Dallas. I mean, that's Dallas, no, and that's not, Southern though. California. And- but it's not. But it's not either of those two things. I'm sorry. You know what it was 10 years ago? Do you know what we were doing in, in like 11 years ago? 10 and 11 years ago, 2011? It was Orange Bloods. Oh, Remember yeah. We that? were talking to those guys. Yeah. And it was, it was Texas and Oklahoma. It was expansion. Like Texas well, and Oklahoma. This is a lot like Texas and Oklahoma, but it's SMU and San Diego State. Very similar. There you go. That's today's Blue 88. We do that at 745 every day. It's three football questions for Brock. Uh, and that's high school, you know, national player of the year, Brock Heward, by the way. Mm, Let's put a little respect that. on that name. Yeah, sure. uh, as we were talking through some of those guys that are, you know, huge, huge, huge hype coming out of high school, especially. Yes. I mean, certainly the the other name you got to throw out there is Bryce Harper, who was absolutely in that category of hype. Yep. I would say he has not lived up to it the way LeBron has, but he has not been disappointing either. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yep. He's won an MVP award. He's now won a World Series. He's had big moments. He's been in the World Series a couple times. I mean, like, there's a lot of reasons to 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 support you know, a great career for Bryce Harper, Yeah, but know, not like LeBron. No, and you know what he's done in, in maybe ways that some of these others that have fallen off have not been able to do? He's, he's felt like he has built 
kind of some safeguards around him, mm. that he has not been overexposed. Right with all of that hype early, you don't see, and and, and maybe I'm wrong. This may be just my perception, but I feel like he's kind of gone about it a little bit like Peyton did for a lot of years. Like, nope, I'm going to build, and you're just not going to get through this wall. Certainly, like Tom was able to do. Uh, You want to talk about pressure now, and and I don't think maybe it's quite LeBron esque, but it's close. And and one of my buddies, Ben Hartsock, used to say, like, oh man, Arch Manning. That kid's going to have, <laughs> right? I mean, he, he you talk about uncles winning li- Super Bowl MVPs, live up to that. grandpa being Archie, like now you're third in line. I mean, you and I have talked about that even with your kids, right? I mean, what it was, what it's like growing up in Washington as the, as a Heward, mm-hmm. it's not easy. We saw it with Sam and, and, you know, it didn't go the right way for him at the university of Washington. Hopefully it will now that he transfers down to, to Cal Poly, but I, I do think there is something to the modern young athlete dealing with enormous hype and pressure. Yeah, but you know what Art, Arch did and what Arch has done, and I'm sure to the council a little bit of uncles and family, you don't see him. like He, he, he right. got his Twitter handle just to announce, and you don't see him, and he didn't go to Elite 11s, and he doesn't have – now he's got a nice collective – and he got some money, but you don't see it public at all. Mm. And I think that they're going to do all they can to build some walls around him and some safeguards and to protect him. But, yeah, let's watch the old Arch Manning go through the it's, Texas it's a, machine. It's a whole nother challenge now, trying to figure out how to how to navigate some of these yep. waters in a world that has certainly changed quite a bit since the mid-'90s when, when those guys were mm-hmm. going through it. All right, coming up next, uh, last week we talked about how wonderful the Mariners' ranking was when it came to their offense. We said, wow. The projections are incredible. If they do this, this team is going to roll. Well, today the other shoe dropped, and uh, I'm shocked by it. It's next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710CLSports.com.